So this morning, our text is from Psalm 23. We're gonna be focused on verse two. So this summer, if you're visiting with us, we are uh, spending the entire summer just in this psalm. And every week, we're, we're taking a different verse of this psalm and just diving massive deep into this. We're not staying on the surface in Psalm 23, but we're going real deep. And this is what we're gonna do with Psalm 23, verse two today. I'm gonna read the whole psalm just to refresh our brains, but I'm focusing and camping out in verse two. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Burnout, fatigue, exhaustion. At the end of her rope, mentally and physically, was where Yasuka Namba found herself climbing Mount Everest in 1996. Mount Everest is the highest mountain in the absolute world, And prior to this Everest expedition, Yasuka had climbed seven of the world's largest mountains. She was a very experienced, very in shape climber. Everest was the peak of what her goals were. One member of her expedition team writes of Yasuka, says that she was laser focused to reach the top. She was in a trance-like state during the entire climb and final push to the summit. She had a trance in her eyes. She was pushing back people. She was stepping over people. She was making dangerous maneuvers to make it to the summit to be the first person in her expedition team. Later that day, she accomplished her goal. She made it to the peak of Everest. She was the first person in her expedition team to make it to the top. Not only that, but she was the oldest person, male or female, to summit Mount Everest, the highest point in the world. Talk about being on top of the world. She's made it. However, soon after reaching the peak, Yasuka found herself trapped in a terrible blizzard. She had spent all of her energy emotionally, physically. She had depleted her reserves. She didn't pace herself to get to the top. So as she was coming down, caught in this blizzard, she had nothing left to survive with. The storm caused her to freeze to death alone. The rest of her teammates had to leave. They couldn't carry her down. She didn't pace herself. Ironically, what's incredibly sad about this is she died not very far in time and proximity to the actual tip-top peak of Everest. At the height of her desires and her goals was Everest. Not far after reaching that peak, she died. Her fatal flaw, researchers have said, is that she lost sight of the big picture. 
Her focus was to reach the top. She spent everything she had to get to the top, but she didn't save enough energy to get to the bottom. Because she was so obsessed with making it to the top, she did not remember the golden rule of climbing. Getting to the top is half the battle. Pace yourself or you will perish. Pace yourself. And that same golden rule for these climbers applies in our lives today. We need to pace ourselves. This text is reminding us of how God created us. We are finite. We need rest. We need to have rhythms of work and rest in our lives. And I've been here for two years. I've met with the majority of you. I think we understand work really well here. We really get work. The one thing I think, me included, that we miss the beauty of is rest. Something more than just naps. But what does it mean to rest in God? What does it mean to find the rest that David is talking about in verse two? This causes us to ask then, what is the rest that God provides? What then is the rest that God provides? David answers this in two ways. He talks about emotional rest and he talks about physical rest. Emotional rest and physical rest. I'm gonna split them up, but they're both directly tied to each other. You can't have one without the other. So let's look at uh, our first point. Let's look at emotional rest. In the first half of verse two, David writes this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The imagery here is absolutely rich. David is considering himself a sheep in the flock of God's uh, herd. And God is his ultimate shepherd. And he's saying that God is a good shepherd that leads him to rest. Well, on the surface, it sounds a little boring. I'll be honest. Like, y'all might not be thinking it. I thought it when I read it. What's so good about this rest? What's so good about the, these green pastures? Pastures. Well, raise your hand if you are a shepherd or have been a shepherd. Seeing none, I want you to put your shepherd's cloak on and grab your imagination staff and get ready to enter into the world of a shepherd. You ready for this? Let's dive in. I'm seeing nothing but a room of shepherds. Here we go. Did you know that it is impossible to get sheep to lie down? I said impossible, y'all. I didn't say it's really hard. Impossible to get sheep to lie down unless four conditions are met. Four conditions. What are these four conditions? First, sheep must feel free from danger. Sheep are fat. They are fluffy. They are slow. They are not built to run and catch prey, nor are they built to run away from predators. Have you ever YouTubed fat sheep running? Please, it is so funny. They're, they're little hooves. They just don't have the mechanics and the stride. It is embarrassing to watch these little fat, fluffy sheep. So the shepherd, knowing this about these creatures, he must provide them with constant protection day and night, constant overwatch, so that these sheep will not just keep their head on a swivel and stay constantly paranoid, living in a state of fear. 
because they feel unsafe. So dangers first. The second is freedom from friction inside of the flock. Drama, herd drama. The shepherd has to know his flock intimately, and if friction breaks out amongst the herd, what happen is what will happen is the sheep will develop nervous energy. They'll develop anxiety. They will not be able to rest, so the shepherd must intimately know who gets along with who, who doesn't get along with each other, and he's got to keep the drama in the herd low. The third is bugs. The shepherd's got to keep the sheep free from bugs. This means that the shepherd has to keep them in pastures suitable to keeping, from keeping bugs and mosquitoes and flies from going in their nose, from constantly annoying the sheep. Sheep get annoyed very, very easy. The last one, the fourth condition that must be met is freedom from famine. If sheep believe that they're in a pasture unsuitable to find food and graze, they will relentlessly and re, uh, restlessly worry. They will worry. They'll worry if the, if the pasture that they're in is suitable to find food. And what will happen is they'll frantically wander. They'll just go. They have no clue where they're going. They will walk straight into danger if they believe that there is a famine now, take all of these four conditions, keep your cloaks on, keep your staffs ready, take all of these four conditions. You've got danger, friction, bugs, and famine. What's the common thread that runs through all four of these? What's the common thread? These are all emotional conditions that must be met so that the sheep can be at peace. David's describing the mental health and peace that these sheep need to rest. Masterfully, David is using this metaphor of sheep to describe us as we at various points in our lives wrestle with one or more of these same emotions. Now, let's put uh, us in the place of these sheep here. Fear. Let's talk about fear. How many of us, don't raise your hand, y'all, how many of us, though, experience symptoms and jump onto WebMD to try to diagnose what's going on with us? Uh-oh, my head hurts. Let me WebMD this one. This one's the big one. Uh-oh, this is happening, right? It's probably because you haven't had water in a while, right? We WebMD a lot of things from the physical discomfort that we have. Maybe that doesn't apply to you. What about fear of failure? Fear of rejection, fear of being wrong, fear of losing something that you've worked your entire life for, fear of being exposed, right? We all struggle with fear. Take friction, friction from relationships. We all have that. We all experience drama and the anxiety that it causes us to live and work and be around people who have previously hurt you or who you just don't get along with. Flies. It's summertime in Florida, y'all. Go running in the woods on that trail right outside of UNF. 
you will not need a, a post-workout smoothie because you will have ingested, ingested many bugs, many mosquitoes. It's miserable. But far preferable to these bugs, far preferable are these bugs to those annoying, buzzing sounds that exist in our head from past relationships or phrases that people have spoken over you, well, you'll never be enough. You're never good enough. You're never smart enough. You're never pretty enough. You're never athletic enough. You'll, you'll be just like your father. You'll be just like such and such. You'll never live up to such and such. Lastly is worry from famine. We eat pretty good here. I don't think anybody's really uh, worried about where their next meal's gonna come from, but we experience other types of famine. Famine of missing out on experiences. Famines of missing out on memories. Maybe even a, a famine of freedom with responsibilities and adulting just bogging you down. Life sinking its roots into me. I can't do what I want when I want to. I've gotta go, go, go. I've gotta do, do, do. We hear a lot about midlife crises, but my 20s and 30-somethings, I love y'all, quarter-life crises are real. It's real, it's not funny. I know I say a lot of funny things. A quarter-life crisis is real. You can make some serious, serious bad mistakes in this desire to go and accomplish and do. So where do we find relief? Where do we get relief from this? This is constant in our lives. Vacations, more money, different friends, different church, new jobs, New home, maybe, maybe. You might actually find some temporary emotional relief by changing your scenery. But here's, here's the catch. If you are not inundated with the love of Christ in your life, if you are not consumed with your identity and who you are in Jesus, You'll find yourself in new circumstances, new external circumstances with the same internal frustrations. Everything around you might be new, but you will catch up with you if you are not completely united to Christ. So how can we go from avoiding or numbing these internal battles? How can we move from avoidance and numbing with what we experience internally to move to these emotional green pastures where we can find constant emotional rest? Y'all know the answer. It's that, that old just church answer. It's Jesus, right? Listen to Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
What Jesus is offering and promising is the emotional and spiritual rest that the things of this world promise to give us but fail to deliver on. Jesus is teaching to attach yourself to him, to be united to him in everything that you do, casting your fears, your worries, your doubts, your hopes, your dreams, casting every bit of it on him. And in exchange, what he promises is these green pastures of rest and peace that David is teaching about. If you're anything like me, you're saying, how? How can Jesus do this? This is a beautiful promise, but how can he do it? Jesus promises rest, and Jesus affords you to lay in green pastures because he hung on a cross. That's how he can prove and give you rest. He took your sin upon the cross. He died as a criminal, hanging in pure exhaustion and torment emotionally so that you come to him and find rest so that your next response is to lay and to rest at the foot of the Father and find your souls cared for deeply. You have emotional needs met that you didn't even realize you needed to have met trauma and wounds from your past that you didn't even realize was affecting you, God meets those wounds with the blood of Christ and provides you rest and peace that you had no idea that you were longing for. This peace, this peace with God is, is no joke and it's no flippant point that this peace passes all understanding. It's hard to put into words the peace that God brings restless and tired souls. Now what Jesus isn't teaching here, what he isn't teaching is that faith in him means that you'll live a life in perfect green meadows with no stress, with no worry, with no predators, flies, annoyances, anxieties, or worries. But what he does mean is that faith in Jesus turns desolate, barren, dry, painful places and experiences into lush green meadows. Because your faith rests in the King of Kings, who promises that in him we are Romans 8 more than conquerors. Go back and read the prison letters, the prison epistles from the New Testament that Paul was writing, they're full of joy. They're full of peace with God. And he's writing it, starving in a prison cell. That's the peace that passes understanding, that changed Paul, that has changed this world, that can change you right where you are this morning. If you don't believe me, just have lunch with me. I'd love to share with you my own personal story. By Christ's spirit, he's able to allow you to endure even the most painful circumstances with your eyes even clouded with tears, mascara run and making that ugly cry face. He can do that to you and with you and through you with your eyes fixed on him. Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, do not be anxious about anything, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Very practically, what this means for us is that in Christ, we can take our temporary pain and struggles and we set it upon the gaze of eternity. We take the temporary and we put it into the horizon of the eternity and eternal with Christ. Keeping our eyes on Christ reminds us of the big picture. It keeps us focused on the big picture of eternity in the midst of seasons of emotional stress and pain, and it keeps us from making catastrophic decisions like Yasuka made while climbing Everest. One of my favorite pastors, preachers is Steve Brown. He's down in South Florida. He tells this story. He says, I, I once uh, had uh, the, heard the testimony of a woman that he was talking with, and she said she knew she was a Christian based on how her bed looked in the morning. And he says, how do you determine that you're now a Christian based on what your bed looks like? She says this, before, when I got out of bed, it was all rumpled because I had tossed and turned all night. Now when I get out of bed, it's as smooth as silk. It helps us to ask, what's keeping you from peaceful rest? What keeps you up at night? What are you tossing and turning about? Maybe not in bed, but just all day this thing just won't leave me. I'm constantly worried. I can't have conversations with people because in the back of my mind, this thing is always uh, after me. This, this fear, this worry, this, this situation, what is it? What things of this world are you just grasping at to numb or to pacify these feelings? What are you doing to try to avoid the emotional pain that you experience in this life? If it's anything other than Jesus, you're going to be massively disappointed. Remember the words of Jesus who says, come to him, find rest, cast your cares upon him, and he will give you peace. You find him this morning in his word, you find him this morning in worship. It's no accident that you're here this morning. This is God's grace to you drawing you here to give you rest for your souls. You find it in Christian community. This is why we harp on worship in community groups every Sunday in this church. Every time you meet with me or Keith or any of the elders, we're constantly gonna ask you, what's your community group situation like? Where are you at? Are you in a group? We're always gonna be asking you this because these are God's means of grace. Now, let me nuance something. And for those of you who know me, you know I can't stand nuancing things. But we need nuance here for a reason. Some of you here are going through acute seasons of pain. You're going through acute seasons of emotional distress. Some of you might have external circumstances that are great. On paper, they're great. But inside, you are struggling. You're hurting. There is a black cloud of rain that exists in your life that you cannot shake. 
there's this internal war that it's hard to put into words. I encourage you to please don't suffer in silence. God gives us means of grace through the word, through prayer, through community, but there are chemical imbalances that do exist in our brain that are not sin-related, that you will not fix just by being really disciplined, right? Chemical imbalances are not the result of you just being a terrible person. Brain chemistry is real, and for too long the church has said, well, you've just got a sin issue. Let me tell you, we all have sin issues, but some of us suffer in different ways, not because of what we're doing or not doing, based upon the chemicals that are in our brain. If that is you this morning, you are loved, you're here. I talk to so many people who struggle with this, and it hurts so bad to hear their stories of being shamed because they use medicine or because they go to a counselor or a therapist or have a mental health diagnosis. It makes me sick to my stomach. If this is you this morning, do not suffer in silence. You come to me. You're safe with me. You're safe with our elders. If you're at home watching this, you email me. M. Morrison at Christ Church East. I've got you. Share what's going on. Share that pain. You are not a diagnosis. Christ redeems that, and your identity is in him. This is what Christ-centered community is all about. This is what being a part of a healthy church is all about. It's finding God's means of grace and his healing love and death and resurrection for you. So we've asked, what kind of rest does God provide? We've seen the emotional rest. Now let's look at the physical rest. Notice the second half of verse two. He leads me beside still waters. If you've taken your shepherd's cloak off and you've set your staff down, pick it back up. We're diving right back into this metaphor of the shepherd here. Here we see the shepherd leading worried sheep beside a stream of water. He's doing this so that they can find physical sustenance for their bodies to continue roaming to new pastures. The problem is sheep are skittish, they're easily spooked, and they will not drink from fast-moving bodies of water. They're scared. They're scared they'll get swept away. So here's what the shepherd has to do. The shepherd has to gently lead the sheep with this thing that's very scary. He has to bring them to it, and then the shepherd has to go and pick up these large boulders, and he has to dam up bodies of water to turn these fast-moving currents into this little drinking pond that's trickled into so that these worried and scared and high-maintenance sheep can come without safety and drink till they're absolutely content. What a full-time and frustrating job. The shepherd can't get frustrated with the sheep and say, would you come on? Would you drink? Get, get. That's what I would be doing. That's why I'm not God. But this is what a good shepherd does. He is constantly caring. Now, the work here 
gives so many illustrations of the way God and Christ cares for us, but I'll take one in particular for the sake of time. The currents of this life with its demands, its pressures, its to-do lists, its notifications, the constant standards, the unwritten rules, the social engagements, the nonstop headlines, all of those things will absolutely sweep us away if there is not a dam to hold it back. We will be swept away by it. We will lose sight of the big picture and we will be carried away by this. But Jesus' death and resurrection is that dam which keeps us from getting swept away by the worries of this, of this life. That dam allows us to come to still waters and to drink freely from Christ's well, which brings us life. It's so counterintuitive. We think we need to go, 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 go to find life, but Jesus is saying, stop, stop, and drink, and you will have life. This is why we encourage daily Bible reading. This is why in our app we have community Bible reading plans. So all of us can have the text laid out for us with just the click of a button. We encourage family devotion time, weekly worship on Sundays, community groups in people's homes. These are all places where we can come and stop doing and be fed. And we feed others here. Like Yasuko, if we do not regularly, physically rest, not just naps, don't say Pastor Matt doesn't like naps. I love naps. I've got a red chair. I nap in it from one to two. You will not catch me doing anything but napping on Sundays. But it's much more than just napping. You need to find emotional and physical rest in the person of Jesus. There's a story about two guys named Andy and Mitch. Andy and Mitch were contracted to cut down trees and they were gonna be paid per tree at the end of the day. So Andy and Mitch had two different philosophies of how they were going to get paid. Andy, on one hand, went relentlessly. He was going. He didn't take breaks. He didn't take lunch breaks. He just took a shot of water like a marathon runner and kept grinding. He was going, going, going. Andy was nonstop. Mitch, on the other hand, he was working really well. He would take breaks whenever he got tired. He would eat some food when he was tired. And at the end of the day, Andy came to Mitch and he was like, how in the world are you happy right now? How are you cutting jokes? Why are you smiling? What's going on? And how in the world did you chop down more trees than me? I saw you taking a siesta. I saw you chilling. What was happening? Mitch smiles and he told him, he said, you didn't notice that while I was resting, I was under the tree sharpening my ax. This sharpening is what emotionally and physically happens to you when you rest in Jesus. Emotions, your emotional life, and your physical health are both connected. When we worship Jesus, our souls, our minds, our emotions, our wills, our bodies are sharpened to go back into the busyness of this world and to grind and to work hard and to deal with the complexities of life. And we're sharpened not just to survive, but to thrive. And what regular worship of Jesus means is that we can come to Jesus thirsty and leave refreshed. Remember, 
Remember that story with Jesus and the Samaritan woman at John 4. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And how did that woman respond to Jesus? She said, I want that water. I want that water. But to drink this water, you have got to stop your running and going. Some of y'all are living your lives like you're running a marathon to cure rabies and you're running as fast as you can and you're grabbing those little cups and you're splashing water on your face and then you're trying to go to your next thing. But that race is going to end. You will not have lasting nourishment if that's how you're living your life. You have got to be still and you have got to trust that this counterintuitive water that Jesus promises will give you life not just on this earth, but life eternal. Only in Jesus will you find complete emotional and physical rest, and y'all, you can't have one without the other. This causes us to ask, is Jesus your shepherd? Are you being led by him? A great way to answer this question diagnostically is to say, are you resting in him? Is your life marked by patterns of work and rest? Are you following God's design and command? This is not a gentle suggestion. It's a command from God to rest and to pace yourself with daily, weekly, monthly, yearly rest intervals where you can come to the fount of grace in Jesus and drink freely. If you're here this morning and that's not for you, if you say, I've got this on my own, I will run my own race, I will do my own thing, my question for you is, how much longer will you go before you crash? How much longer before you crash? Instead of risking burnout and eternal catastrophic damage to yourself and others, come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus. Rest in him. Find nourishment for your mind, for your body, and for your soul. Please pray with me. Father, we are a busy people. We are, through technology, more connected than ever, but more isolated than ever before. For many of us, we live in groups of people and work alongside of other people, but being in proximity to one another is not necessarily being known. Lord, I pray for all of us who are scared of being known, for all of us who are scared of slowing down, that you will first help us to see our identity in you, Jesus. That we will see that in you we are loved and cared for and provided for, that everything under the sun has been met in you. That all of the promises of God are yes and amen in you. And if you are forced, who can be against us? God, give us that confidence and that identity, 
not an identity of our accomplishments or our schedules or our to-do list, but Lord, give us confidence in our identity that you are our Father, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega. Do this by your spirit because we can't do this on our own. In Jesus' name we pray.